I'm Yaroslav Korj. I'm located in Ukraine, Kiev. I was always advocating for people treating people as much as they want to be treated. In this case, this works for war, this works for peaceful times, this works in any human relations overall. Trying to be helpful, trying to be friendly around is something that works because magic to me was something that connected me with people across the globe in many places, many countries I was visiting. You can just go to a local store, chat with the people that share your common passion, and it's relatively easy to connect to people once you share your common passion in this case which is cool, and that's what I pretty much enjoy about magic. Welcome to a special episode of Humans of Magic. Many of us have been following the Ukraine-Russia war. In the early morning of February 24th, 2022, Russia launched its military invasion of Ukraine. I couldn't stop thinking about the war. And I had a lot of questions. What's going on with Ukrainian magic players? How are they holding up? And what can we, as global members of the magic community, do to help? Today we explore the story of Ukrainian magic. It is a dark story. It is, however, also a story of hope. The players I spoke to all have a message to share. They want to say something to me and you. They also want to say something to Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. You're listening to episode 94, This Ukrainian Life. Warning. The episode contains descriptions of war and violence, as well as adult language. Listener discretion is advised. The situation in Ukraine is dynamic and subject to change. The interviews were recorded in April 2022 and are based on information available at that time. For more information on Humans and Magic, visit humansandmagic.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram under Humans of Magic. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. My full name's Vitaly Panamarov. You can call me V. Our story begins with V. V works in IT and is a part-time musician. I'm physically based in the western Ukrainian region, which is called, the city is called Lviv. It is a vibrant city of 700,000 people, growing in size with the recent influx of refugees. Lviv has been compared to the film Casablanca in terms of its eclectic mix of cafe culture, commerce, and attempts at normalcy during the war. It lies 70 kilometers away from the Ukrainian-Polish border. I used to live in Kharkiv uh, in the eastern part of Ukraine for 13 years, almost 13 years. And I actually moved to this part, I think, about two weeks before the war started. I asked V to describe the Lviv magic community. For some reason, a huge part of the Lviv community is very young. They're like people 18 to 25 tops. Uh, and we've actually, just before the war, we started uh, trying to revive 
modern formats in Lviv. Ukrainians usually like uh, more eternal formats, like more modern, and EDH is pretty huge in here. And as soon as we managed to consistently get 10 plus people to play every Saturday, the war hit. Where was V when the war hit? I was at home. I moved to Lviv like about two weeks before the war, but it actually took some time for me to find a space to rent. It's pretty difficult to find a space here. I rented a space, I think it was Sunday or Monday. Spent two days just trying to get myself in, settle down, just finally feel at home. I think it was Wednesday evening when I finally felt like, okay, I'm kind of settling in. I made a bunch of orders for new furniture and all that. And then Thursday morning, the war hit. I was staying at my place uh, and it was actually pretty surreal because I don't, I don't even remember what actually happened. I think the war just started. Someone called me, so one of my friends called me and said like uh, that Russians are bombing our cities. And it was actually like very widespread. So pretty much every big city, every region center in Ukraine got hit. I think rockets hit most of the region centers. And then after that, it's like just almost like blank for me. As soon as that happened, my parents started moving from Eastern Ukraine from my native town, which is now occupied by Russians. Uh, they started moving through Ukraine to my place. Uh, and it took like a lot of uh, work to just coordinate their route in the ever-changing dynamic situation. So like roads got pretty cluttered very fast. Uh, there's that. Uh, there was also uh, a challenge to manage efficiency at my full-time job because I work in IT and I manage a lot of people. And obviously like every single one has relatives in places that got shelled first first day of war first two days of war like pretty massively uh, even to this day uh, some of some of my teammates and some of uh, the people I manage are stuck in Kharkiv for example uh, and their relatives are stuck in Mariupol which is like shelled to the ground uh, so there's that and this this has been we started as soon as the war hit I think me and my friends uh, started trying to do as much stuff as possible, just so it's, first of all, it's kind of like it's useful and we feel value in what we do, uh, which is like a lot of volunteering stuff, donating as much money as we can and all that. Trying to be good people for people who are less lucky than us. And second of all, it, it just helps to power through the day when you have a lot of stuff to do. So that's that's kind of it. Did V and his family ever consider moving out of the country? As soon as the Russian aggression started building up, so back in like December, uh, we talked about the situation with my parents, my family, and my friends, and we decided that we're not going to move out of the country, whatever happens. I know it might sound a little too patriotic or whatever, like I'm not trying to sound noble, but it's it's my country, and as long as uh, I have a place here, I can be useful here. I don't want to move. Western regions are 
quite safe. They're very crowded right now, uh, but at least I have a place to work. I have a place to stay efficient, uh, volunteer after my full-time job, sometimes at night. And as long as I can do that, I don't think I will move. And like, obviously my parents are probably not going to move as well, uh, just because they're conservative people and they're the ones who like their country a lot. I asked V if he has any additional messages to share. Anyone should be extremely stoked to come visit Ukraine. It's a beautiful place. It has always been a beautiful place. It's still a beautiful place and it will always be. Just come play. I would love to have a game at the table with pretty much anyone. I want to ask people to keep talking about magic in Ukraine. We have stopped receiving promotion uh, and support from Wizards and Hasbro. I think the last packs we got was Sendika Rising. And we managed to power through that. Our community is pretty strong. It's not, it's not like many people needed an incentive to play just because magic is fun, right? Uh, and it was always about the community and all that. But like after the war hit, and even before the war hit, I think actually many people uh, have talked about this, uh, that Ukraine has been uh, a part of Russian distribution chain. So whatever we paid for packs or pre-cons or something like that, ended up just paying taxes and essentially financing Russian military, which ends up shelling our cities. So we, I, I, I hope that we won't be the part of Russian distribution chain anymore. Uh, and I think it makes a lot of sense to transfer Ukraine to Europe because we're like, we're pretty close to Poland, right? And this stuff is all figured out in Poland. I, lots of our uh, pro players and just modern players, they uh, often visit Poland and Polish tournaments. Uh, it's usually very fun. Uh, so yeah, there's that. That's probably the most important thing. And I would love uh, to just ask Magic players to uh, keep talking about that because, like, so far, uh, Wizards has completely ignored us uh, on, on that matter. Finally, I asked V if he has any predictions for the future. With my parents uh, sitting in the next room and worrying about all of their belongings that they've earned for... 40 plus years of honest work gone. It's very difficult for me not to want for everything to come to a peaceful ending of some sort tomorrow, right? Or today. But at the same time, I understand that it's just not going to happen because uh, our enemy is that type of enemy. After we've seen a bunch of like, pictures and descriptions of the atrocities they did. Uh, I don't think it's going to end fast. I'm very happy that uh, we managed to pull off some pretty massive you know, destructions of Russian army, so that it's, it's very difficult for them to operate right now. I definitely think it's not even a question for any Ukrainian that we're going to win, and we're going to take back our territory, and we're going to rebuild. And I'm actually, I think that that's, that's the most therapeutic thing that I can say to anyone, that uh, if, if anyone feels sad or just, I don't know, overtook by the fact that there's the war in my country, 
uh, they should just think about the plans of what they're going to do when we're going to rebuild. How their city will look, what's the, you know, what's the small business they're going to open, uh, or, or like how they will help, something like that. That's definitely helpful. So I think it's, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be a decision pretty soon. Worst case scenario, we're going to get a localized conflict similar to the one that we've had for eight years already. Because like it started in 2014 and it was actually pretty close to my native town. Uh, the front line was pretty close. Uh, so I think we're going to just get a version of that, which is not going to last for eight years just because uh, hopefully the civilized world is going to continue their sanctions. Uh, they're going to continue helping us. I think we're luckier than uh, the countries that Russia has invaded before us. Special thanks go out to V for writing an initial post on the Magic subreddit, which introduced the whole Magic Ukraine situation to me. He also connected me to all of the guests you hear in this episode. Without V's generous support, we simply wouldn't be able to tell this story. My name is Vladislav Romania and I'm located in Lviv right now. Vladislav, or Vlad for short, works in capital construction. His company conducts many projects in Mariupol. Unfortunately, that is difficult now, as Mariupol is a shell of its former self. I came here on the 8th of March. I used to live in Kyiv, in our capital, before the full-scale attack. I asked Vlad to tell me how he got into magic. So in 2009, one of my friends introduced me to Magic the Gathering. She brought a deck of cards with her and showed it to everyone. Uh, actually, we got quickly fascinated with magic. And I think in a year or so, another one of my friends, he brought me some cards from Poland because then they were still quite hard to get in Ukraine. And I made my first deck, which was like basically a gravedigger deck. I had four gravediggers, and I thought when, I, when one enters the battlefield, I can take another one from the graveyard to my hand. And it was like an awesome combo that no one could ever defeat. <laughs> but when I started playing a little bit more seriously is when I got to the US in 2014. At that time, I got introduced to pre-release events, to Friday Night Magic. I had my standard deck at a time. The graveyard theme became my, you know, whole life theme in Magic. But the format that uh, I really started invested in and I, I still enjoy the most is uh, Commander. And so in, in 2015, when Hands of Tarkir were releasing, 
I saw this new creature, Sidisi brought Tyrant, and I thought that this would be a perfect commander for me. So I went to Friday night pre-release. Uh, I didn't get it, and no one got it in the club. And then I went to two pre-releases on Saturday, and still no one got it. And then I went on a to had a giant pre-release on Sunday morning, and I actually got a pre-release version of CDC Broad Tyrant. So I thought, okay, this is you know like this is the destiny I I have to make this deck. And since then, um, I I keep playing Commander mostly, even though I visit drafts and other events once in a while. I have several different decks, but I still have that updated CDC Bright Tyrant EDH. What was it like in Kyiv when the Russian invasion began? My neighbor woke me up to warn me that the war has started. And just in a couple of minutes, we heard huge explosions in Kyiv. So we ran to the shelter. And then we had to spend two nights in the shelter because which is which is a subway station. Uh, so we, we slept two nights on the floor in the subway station because there it's of course it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's windy and cold there and the trains are noisy, but at least you can try to sleep. On the contrary, if you stay in your apartment, you get these air alarms and then it's impossible to fall asleep at all. First, I went to the territorial defense, but because I have no previous military experience, they said they didn't have necessity in people like me. And then I went to the supermarket and it was almost empty. Only a few things were left. So I decided that there's nothing I can do in Kyiv anymore no way i can help so i packed my stuff and i went to the train station it was crowded uh, but uh, you didn't you didn't need a ticket to get on a train which I just it, all the trains were considered for evacuation so people were just filling them completely all, all the space even in the corridors and anywhere where they could be placed and uh, so that's how I managed to evacuate from Kyiv. And uh, I went to Lviv. But first, first I was staying uh, around Lviv, in Lviv region, but that, uh, for, for a couple of weeks. But then that home became overcrowded. So I moved to actually Lviv itself. And since the 8th of March, I'm, I'm here. And what about Vlad's family? I'm not married, but I have uh, my mom and uh, my aunt and two of my little cousins, girls. They were all living in Dnipro city, which is located in the eastern part of Ukraine. Basically, the situation for them was pretty similar because they were there were explosions in Dnipro on the 24th 
for some time they were staying at their homes. But then my grandparents, my aunt and my cousins, they went outside of the city to our cottage house, the dacha that we call it. We thought that even if something hits, it would hit the industrial city like Dnipro and not the suburb areas, not the outskirts. Uh, and also the, there is a cellar in our house where they organized shelter for themselves, a bomb shelter. But sometimes they were staying there. My mom was staying at her home uh, in Dnipro. But then uh, after a couple of weeks of these constant uh, airstrikes and explosions, I tried to persuade them to go outside of the country. And they finally did. Um, my mom, her sister and her daughters, they took a car and they went from Dnipro to the Western Ukraine. It took them two days. And then they crossed the border and went to Romania. They were staying there for three days. And later on, I contacted my friend who lives in Germany. And uh, with the help of his boss, he found them a home also outside of, in a small village, outside of Frankfurt. So it took them another three days to go from Romania to there. And that's where they are located right now. Actually, as we're, as we're speaking, my mom is writing something to me. Good morning, she says. I asked Vlad about his family's current situation. They're safe there. However, every time I speak to my mom, um, she's crying because she wants to come back home. There are good conditions and people are very nice to them, but she doesn't feel like at home. You know, she, she wants to come back. She wants to be in Ukraine, wants to live in Ukraine. And my grandparents, they are still living in that house near to Dnipro. They don't hear explosions in where they are located, but occasionally Dnipro is getting hit as well. Vlad tells me more about his mother. She's a psychologist. Right now she's working with people who need psychological help because of all this situation which I can imagine also impacts her a lot because our story is kind of like, you know, a, a softer version of a story. Uh, there are people, for example, from Mariupol, a city which is 90% destroyed. There are just unimaginable atrocities happening in there. People had to bury their neighbors right in the yards or just leave them without burying because they had no time. People who are trying to escape from there on their car are getting shot at or they're getting robbed. They're just unimaginable things going on there. I work at a company which is registered in Mariupol. There are still more than 100,000 people left in Mariupol. 
it used to be about 300,000 population there, but there are still a lot of people left. They live in cellars for almost two months. There is no water supply, no heat, no gas, no electricity. Therefore, no mobile connection, no internet, so nothing. They're living in the Stone Age. Probably everything you read about it in, in the news is true. I personally know people from there who were telling me the stories. Some of my colleagues, they're lost. We don't know where they are and whether they, they're still alive. I asked Vlad what it's like to move to Lviv. When I came here, I smiled because I saw a living city with people on streets, transport going on. It almost feels like a normal life because the, all, almost all of the stores are open, even the cafes. However, there's much more, you know, military on the streets, patrolling. Uh, if you want to go outside of the city, there are posts who check every car. The people are being much more cautious. We're trying to not make loud noises, to be polite, to help each other. If not for the air alarms where you have to go to the cellar, it would be almost like a normal life. I'm trying to find some relief for myself as well. For example, I learned how to play the drums. So last week I found a drum school in here to attend because it really gives me a lot of stress relief and it's really necessary. And just for a while, it gives you this feeling that everything is back to normal. I would love to go back to playing Magic the Gathering because it was a huge part of my life. I, I attended Magic events every week for sure. But unfortunately, um, people don't gather at a time like this. Finally, I asked Vlad to share his message for the Magic community. I would like to send a message to the Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro Corporation, if that's suitable to your question. First of all, we as Magic players in Ukraine, we would like to see some more confident position from Hasbro. We want to see a message that they're leaving the Russian market. I have such news from some bloggers and podcasts, but there is no announcement on their page. They don't use their audience to blame this war and to stand against the war. We want them to take this position because right now it really influences our feelings towards this game that we love. Second thing, which was very topical in Ukraine for the last several years, is that we don't have our own distribution office. And 
our office is located in Moscow. We were used to get the cards from Russia, which causes huge delays for us. We haven't been receiving any promo production for almost two years, or we are receiving them half a year, eight months, one year later than we should have, and not in the right quantity. And it's because the Russian office receives promo production for free, but they still have to pay uh, taxes for, for the import on the customs, which they don't want to, so they don't receive it. So the Russian customs just burns down uh, almost all promo cards. My message is please consider relocating the office which is responsible for the Ukrainian market. Even if uh, Wizards of the Coast don't consider our audience here big enough to establish a separate office, then I think it should be moved to Poland or one of the Eastern European countries so we can have a stable supply of production and not wait for eternity. And another thing is, I don't think players in Ukraine would like to receive Russian cards in future. It would be much better if we receive English cards. So this is the main message. It's actually important for, for us to be assigned to some other distribution office. This bothers and it disturbs magic community in Ukraine. What I wanted to say to other magic players, I want to say that I, I'm thinking about the moment when we can go back to normality and I could go back to my cellar, which is not the bomb shelter, but our magic club. And I can play with my friends. I've just recently, I've just made a really good, as I, as I think, CDH deck, which is Timna Trasios deck. It features a lot of cards from my old CDC deck because they share three colors out of four. To the Magic players in Europe, maybe if you see some trades from the people in Ukraine, go ahead and you know accept these trades because in this way you can help somebody in Ukraine. Magic community in Ukraine also really stood up and organized to help in the way they can. You know, there are a lot of volunteers around Ukraine. Everybody right now is a volunteer, actually. Everybody does whatever they can. And our people stand united to support the refugees, to support our army, and to go through these horrible times. But what the Magic players did, we have an auction where people used to put their cards, like on a real auction, establish a minimum price, and then uh, after some bidding, someone would get this card. Uh, and right now, almost all of these auctions say that the money go to the, to the war effort. You get the card, but you don't send the money to this person. You actually send them directly 
to the National Bank of Ukraine, and then you just show the person the bill. And this is how most of cards are sold. This way, I distributed cards for about $1,000. And just yesterday, I sold my whole dual Dex anthology, which was really valuable for me, but I thought this was for a good cause. My friend, I'm not as brave as her, but she sold all of her Magic the Gathering products for some insane amount of money. The Magic community is also united and trying to help the way they can. If the situation changes into more positive, I can go back to Kyiv. I already see in my chats that people in Kyiv start gathering. Uh, there's the biggest community over there. So I'm really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to going back to normality and sitting at one table with my fellow Magic players. Now we move to Kyiv, the capital city of Ukraine. My full name is Alexandra, and I'm from Kyiv, Ukraine. Kyiv contains 3 million people and is located in a strategically important location in north-central Ukraine. Imagine starting in Richmond, Virginia, and then driving all the way up to New York City. That's roughly the same distance from Lviv to Kyiv. Today, Kyiv is where you will find President Zelensky. It is also where I find Alexandra, an IT business analyst and Magic player. I asked Alexandra how she started playing Magic. Oh, it was in 2016. I came uh, like to partly work and volunteer in Bayes' Take of Fab here in Kyiv. And it was also like um, the most popular Magic is a Gathering local game store in Kyiv as well. And after that, I got like a huge pause and got back in Magic last year in February, but actually on my own in a new game store and started building my own deck. And why did she come back to Magic? Uh, no, actually, I just missed Magic. That one uh, local game store I was working at, it was uh, so we closed it. So like all the cards were sold and I didn't have anything. So I was just not playing. <laughs> and then I started to miss it. And um, I decided to teach one of my friends how to play. I had just several old uh, Planeswalker deck left. So I taught my friend and then I was like, okay, I want to play Commander. <laughs> now I have four decks and two of them I just adore. It's Marcel the Pretender and Sakashima. Uh, like, it's not about Sakashima, but it's just like the whole deck is in uh, clones. <laughs> and uh, I'm just following like the game plan of my opponents, doing everything according to their power, power level as well. So if you're playing casual, my deck is casual for you because it's just playing with your creatures. <laughs> if it's not casual, it's okay. I'm also playing with your cards. <laughs> I asked Alexandra to describe what it was like when the invasion started. 
24th of February, I was in Kiev as well, actually at home with my boyfriend. And we woke up at 4, uh, 4 something a.m. because uh, of bombs being planted near Kiev. And yeah, of course, we were shocked because like I just woke up uh, due to explosion. I like, what the fuck? Uh, of course, we knew that the Russian army is near our borders, but to be honest, we didn't believe it can happen, really. So when we just woke up, I was just like, maybe it's something else. <laughs> and like, yeah, I really had hopes that like, I don't know, uh, firework, <laughs> whatever. But of course, yeah, like, you know, it's not a firework because, okay, my house choked and but you still hope that it's something else because you cannot believe that just like in your peaceful country, uh, in your peaceful life, the war can happen. And uh, yeah, so next, like we were just uh, trying to put ourselves together and think what we can do next uh, because we also have like families. I have kind of big family and I have my grandmothers who are like 80 years old. Uh, and my boyfriend as well. So we were planning, like, should we go out of the Kiev? Should we stay? And uh, two days uh, after the start, uh, me and my family, like, we were um, uh, living in garage because, uh, like, we got a garage in a building with very thick walls. And, yeah, we decided to stay there for a couple of days uh, because, like, Oh, you know, uh, some shelters, they're just not very safe here because they're not bomb shelters. They're just uh, ground levels. <laughs> and that building was, it seemed just more safe for us. So yeah, we stayed there. And then uh, we went to the west part of the country. Uh, but now we returned back. Why did Alexandra and her loved ones stay in Kiev? Well, there are a lot of reasons. It includes like first our parents get back because my father, he needed to attend like the military services there. So my father, he was like, uh, how to say, put uh, in a queue to be mobilized. So he's still here in Kiev, but as like he's leaving here. Uh, so all his documents for uh, military services is here. So he should have come back. And uh, like, we also decided that we will not like prolong our housing there because it's expensive and we just wanted to get home. So from here, like for example, from Kiev, I have more uh, chances to help some volunteer services because there I could only volunteer like online by coordinating different chats. And here, like, uh, you know, uh, I got a lot of things out of my house and gave them to refugees or to our army because they're all useful. So I wanted to come here to do that and to help my country. And yeah, it's just at some point it became easier for you to stay home and just accept that like, yeah, we are in danger, but we are home and yeah, we'll remain here. It's our place. Despite all the reasons, does she feel safe? Like, yeah, sure. I still don't feel completely safe here. We, we don't even feel like really safe in the rest parts of Ukraine because yeah, it's war and uh our enemy, like they shoot civilians. So it's not like if you're not an army, you're safe. No, they just bomb whatever they think if they want to. So we never know uh, where the next missile will fly. But yeah, what can we do? And yeah, of course, like the thing uh, I'm afraid the most is probably the nuclear weapons because uh, 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 
like I'm not sure what the Russia will do if they see that they are losing the war. Like it might be their last chance and they might use it. And in such case, even the shelters will not help anyone. I ask Alexandra if she has any predictions for the future. Uh, to be honest, it's very hard to make any predictions. Like the situation is changing quickly. And uh, the most problem with prediction is like when you're making prediction, you're just trying to use like, you know, the base logic. You're thinking according like to some principles of moral and humanity. And you're like, okay, so what I would do is like this and this. And every normal human being would do this and this. But when you're talking about the enemy who is irrational and they are ready like to ruin their own country just to destroy another country, like I just cannot get this logic. <laughs> so I cannot imagine myself being in their shoes. And like I cannot say anything for sure. Uh, like we trust in our army and uh, we're pretty sure that well, we can win this battle if it's still like the army battle. But yeah, we are not a nuclear country. And at this point, if the nuclear weapons step in, we cannot do anything and we cannot do any predictions. Like, for example, if you have a conflict with, let's say, your neighbor, and this conflict is because of, I don't know, like parts of the territory, and your neighbor says, well, I want to like put my uh, trees and tomatoes here, I want to grow them. And you say, okay, I want as well. And then, yeah, you have a conflict of interest, but you can solve it. You can have some compromises. But if your neighbor just comes to you and says like, okay, I want to kill you. And you, you can't make any compromises because what you can offer, like he just wants to kill you. I ask her if there are things that we can do as a community. Well, probably like the most important thing I want to say is that it's time for everyone to act now whether it's as the players or I don't know, maybe it's someone even from Hasbro who is actually also have influence, not in the situation directly, but just at least in the market. And the best situation to fix the problem is to prevent the problem. No one prevented it completely, but it's still time to stop it and it's still time to do something now. So it's if, it, if someone just decides to wait for an end, like, okay, I'll see what happened. And after everything ends, then I'll help like the survivals. No, that's, that's not it. And yes, this war we have, it's not just again Ukraine. And it will spread across. So it will not end on Ukraine. Yeah, probably it will end for some time if they defeat us, but it will not end. And it's something like it's time when the world can transform and we can more like some stronger law system and we can prevent it in the future. So if everyone could do anything, it's something that should be done now. And yeah, as well, we are waiting it, like our community, we are waiting it from Hasbro. Because, you know, last year's uh, the Hasbro and Wizards, they were declaring like more tolerance in their communities. They were supporting Black Lives Matters, uh, women's who called. But now they just keep silent. And yeah, we do wait at least something. Uh, because it seems like, you know, their tolerance, like they say, yeah, we support lives and we support equality unless our money are affected. So either you really support it or just better shut up forever.
Alexi is an automation engineer and published author. Uh, my name is Alexey Pryazhnikov. I am from Odessa, Ukraine. Currently, I am in Gdansk, in Poland. I asked Alexei when he started playing Magic. I started with uh, Invasion expansion. I guess I had a very big gap uh, due to being the student and absence of money. And uh, I started uh, again in uh, 2012. And from then I'm playing regularly. I am currently certified uh, level one uh, magic judge. I asked Alexei to describe where he was when the invasion started. I have a two years daughter and a wife. And at the morning in uh, February 24th, we heard uh, explosions above our heads in our city of Odessa. And that was very frightening for both of us and for our daughter. She woke up because of those explosions and said to me, Daddy, I don't want boom, boom. And that made me afraid even more. So we packed our things, at least what we reached for <laughs> at a very brief time that we were packing. And yeah, we just put our bags to a car and went uh, to Moldova because it, it was the nearest uh, border from our city to the to European country. Uh, after that, uh, we uh, rode through whole the Moldova to Romania, and then Hungary, Slovakia, and through whole Poland. Uh, that uh, ride was uh, five, day, five days uh, long. Yeah, and we stayed in Gdansk right, Gdansk right now because uh, there is an office of my company I'm working in here in Poland. We decided to stay in Gdansk because it's close to, to sea and we really love sea with our family. Alexei shares with me the conversations he's had with his wife in terms of staying in Poland versus returning to Ukraine. You know, I, I've tried to... <laughs> Persuade her to stay here in Poland without me, uh, just her and my daughter, so I could uh, return back to Ukraine and if needed, uh, help to defend uh, my country. But uh, she said to me, either we are going together or either we are staying together. And it's hard to me to bring my two years old daughter to Ukraine right now. I don't feel it's safe. As we chat, I find out that Alexei has published a science fiction novel in Russian. So I ask him about his views on Russian language and culture. Odessa, where I was born, is a Russian-speaking part of Ukraine. Basically, I was speaking Russian all my life. At the age of three, my parents moved to Moscow, nearby Moscow, small town, and... Uh, Nobody spoke Ukrainian there. So in second grade of elementary school, I, uh, when the USSR broke up, we returned to Odessa. And uh, only then, uh, I was at the age of seven years old. And only then, I started to learn Ukrainian. I didn't like Ukrainian. 
<laughs> because it, for me it was a, a different uh, language it was foreign language but uh, you know being uh, always in more or less uh, ukrainian environment uh, it's hard not to pick uh, pick up the language i've started to speak ukrainian almost uniquely so i i'm trying to not speak russian if it is possible and uh, with our daughter we are trying to speak exclusively uh, ukrainian just because we don't want to be taken for russians in here in europe that was the uh, first idea so we will speak ukrainian so nobody will think that we are russian i ask alexei to share with me his current views on russia and the russian people what i think about russians is uh, very tinted with hatred that i feel for them they came to my home they came to my country they killed numerous civilians and destroyed uh, homes destroyed uh, whole cities uh, what happened in bucha what happened in mariupol it's indescribable i really feel that uh, my hatred is justified i had a fight with my parents about am i russian or not because my father is half russian uh, but he thinks he's russian so uh, if he's russian so i am his son i'm russian as well and i had <laughs> had a fight trying to <laughs> really uh, explain that i'm not russian i don't want to be russian i, I really hate to be right hate the idea of being russian yeah it's to this extent it's, it's the magic judge community between ukraine and russia has fractured into a million pieces alexei tells me what happened. Judge Academy, as you know, has all the regions of world divided, and Ukraine got to Russian-speaking region, Russian-speaking countries. So we had a huge um, chat in Telegram Messenger uh, with Russian judges. We were, uh, in fact, uh, conversating with them on daily basis, uh, thinking about... Uh, uh, being almost friends with them, with Russian judges. And war started. There was a one message from not even Russian, but Bulgarian judge in chat about, uh, are you guys okay? And two weeks later, zero messages about uh, what is happening in Ukraine. So they, they didn't even bother to ask if we are okay. They didn't even wanted to discuss it when um, we tried to pull that uh, topic they deleted the messages uh, this is no place for politics magic is uh, no place for politics magic is out of politics it's their it's their statement and uh, that was so disgusting for us that we just uh, all the ukrainian judges left their chat and uh, i don't think that we will uh, ever talk with them again. And, and we thought that those are normal guys, adequate, uh, adequate uh, citizens. No, they just, we are out of politics. What, what do you mean you're, you are citizen of uh, Russian Federation? Is there any chance that the fracture can be repaired? It's, it, it's impossible. After what they've done to our country, it's impossible. 
I really had a lot of friends in, there in Russia and uh, guys that I uh, thought they're smart, uh, they're educated. We were uh, talking on daily basis on different things. We had a common point of view on many different uh, things. And those guys are telling me that uh, they are not guilty that they are not guilty, that their government does su such atrocious things. And I ask, how is it you are not guilty? You voted for Mr. Putin. How are you are not guilty? You, you voted for him. Even if you didn't just, my friend, he didn't vote for him. He didn't even vote uh, in general. So basically, if you didn't vote for him, you in fact voted for him because he any voice that isn't claimed by anyone will be claimed by the current dictator so you you are guilty you know even in your in your constitution there is a message the source of power in your country is your nation your people and you are people so your source of power and you are all the russians are guilty for what the russia does you, you know a lot of my friends in europe russian friends in europe well ex-friends told us but we don't want this okay do something if you don't want your government to do this do some protest but we will be put in jail if we will protest Yes, I know. <laughs> yes, but uh, you know, in uh, 2014, there was a similar situation in Ukraine. Our government uh, said that we will be uh, not going to European Union and we will be forever friends with Russia. And uh, people said, what the fuck? No, <laughs> we don't want this. And we, we went to streets. Uh, we flooded the capital of Ukraine, Kyiv. Uh, and uh, we just uh, made this government uh, run away. That's how you should do what you should do if you don't want your government uh, to be stupid fucks. Ah, yeah, it's, it's a bit emotional. <laughs> Any parting words? And James, I want to uh, say thank uh, to you because uh, you're giving Ukrainian players uh, to... Uh, raise their voice in this situation. Yeah, it's, it's very important for, for me personally. Uh, I'm very grateful for you. It's hard to overstate the emotional impact that the war has had on Ukrainians, and Alexei is no different. Alexei's views are quite powerful and shared by many of his fellow Ukrainians and Ukrainian Magic players. In researching this story, I spoke to a lot of Ukrainian Magic players. Here are some additional messages from this amazingly resilient group. Hi, my name is Dmitry Mizen. I'm located currently in Lviv, Ukraine. Ukraine needs help. Wherever you are, you can either donate to either the public accounts from our national bank that directly goes to the support of the army, or you can donate to charitable organizations. For example, the Comeback Alive Fund is the fund that I personally am 100% sure doing the greatest work 
that is again come back alive fund. This you find fun big brain and fund. And if you don't have money, you can always help with your time, putting pressure on people in power wherever you are to support uh, Ukraine is a great help. My name is Mark Yan Maslan. My last name is Moros. I live in Ukraine. I live in Lviv. I just want to tell to other players they, so they could imagine, right? So we are the same players as, as they are. We like this game in the same way. But guys, please just try to imagine that well, right now some of us are wearing are with weapons, they're trying to defend our country. Some of them are trying to help each other. Some of them are right now dead. We will win and we will restore our country. The whole world are supporting us right now. I really appreciate their help. Thanks to the support, of course, we will win this war and we will restore our country. Uh, my full name is Kosmenko Karina. I'm in uh, Zakarpatia now, in Ukraine. Guys, please ask your government to provide the hard weapon to Ukraine. We really need it because they they wouldn't stop. They really want to destroy us. We we need a lot of weapon. We have a lot of humanitarian help. You're really cool when you're doing that. Poland and other countries really nicely to help us and we really and really thank you for it but we need a hard weapon my name is roman mamchur i live in lutsk in ukraine it's western part of the country please support ukraine in your country in your city uh, there's always something you can do. You can donate to refugees' charities. You can push your governments to support uh, Ukraine, to give weapons, to uh, apply sanctions on Russia. Ukrainian resilience and hope for the future lives on. We are all united together by the love of this game that we call Magic the Gathering. Let's make a difference together. You've heard the suggestions. Use your voice to speak out about the Ukraine magic situation and contact your local government. For your convenience, we have made a list of charitable organizations that you can give to. Go to humansandmagic.com and find a list in the show notes of this episode. If you have the opportunity to buy magic cards from Ukraine, please do so. And if you find this episode informative, please spread the word and share this episode with your friends. Information is power. I encourage you to learn more about what's going on in your own way. Special thanks go to V and his band Serpents for supplying the music that you hear in this episode. Thank you for listening to Humans of Magic, and we'll see you next time.